Well, hello. Today's Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by GolfGuide.net. Save 20 to 70% on greens fees by visiting GolfGuide.net. And when you do, enter the promo code GGPODCAST and save 10% on all purchases of $50 or more. Again, enter the promo code GGPODCAST at GolfGuide.net. Um, today's podcast, we have Sean Ogle from Breaking80.com. Uh, Sean is here to talk about some great places to go travel to, some of the fun golf courses he's played on his quest to play America's 100 best golf courses, as well as the world's top 100 golf courses. A fun conversation that I think you guys will enjoy, hopefully as much as I did. So I give you Sean Ogle. Great little treat. Um, yeah, man, I'm glad we could finally get around to doing this. You know, ever since you gave me a sound uh, a sound beating up at Witch Hollow at Pumpkin Ridge when we met in uh, June, it's, it's it's nice to finally touch base again on a, on a less competitive basis, although you're not very competitive to begin with. You're, you're pretty darn nice. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. And, hey, you know, there's always always room for next time. You were just as the host. You were just, you know, making sure that my confidence stayed high. Abs- absolutely. And, you know, and that is something I've I've – really developed a nice skill set for over the last couple of years is that making sure everybody in my group feels like they're very very talented <laughs> and it's much appreciated yeah no absolutely man so um so sean in case anybody uh is listening and isn't familiar with you already you run breaking 80.com and that's 80 spelled out 80 not uh, eight zero um Correct. T- tell us a little bit about breaking 80 for for those that aren't familiar with the website Yeah. So basically for the last three years, I've been traveling around the world. I'm trying to play the top 100 golf courses in the United States as well as the world. Um, You know, creating product reviews and writing um, reviews for products that I like and enjoy and essentially just trying to create the golf site that I always wanted, but just it didn't seem to exist. Um, You know, you see like the golf magazines and the golf digests and a lot of the time it's like they focus too much on the pro tour or they're mm-hmm. writing for people that are like plus two handicaps. Um, so I was just like, Hey, here's the stuff I'm interested in. Like I'm not the world's best golfer by any means. Uh, so I'm going to create it for, uh, for people like me. And so far people have been interested. No, absolutely, man. And it's really cool. It's funny. Cause, uh, the first time I visited your website, uh, there was like a little pop-up that came up and said, are you ready for a golf site that doesn't suck? And I just had that <laughs> inner, inner model. I was like, yes. Yes, yes, I am. I, am, I, I yeah. am ready for a golf site that doesn't suck. And that's not to say that, you know, some other golf websites like the Golf Digest, you were saying, they, they definitely don't, like, suck, suck. I mean, they've got a lot, a lot of good content. It's just, they're, like you just said, there wasn't as much content focused on things that I was most interested in as an amateur golfer. It sounds like you, that's, that was part of the motivation for you kicking that thing, kicking that thing off. Absolutely. And I don't mean to like knock on other golf sites because Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, for example, they both put out some really, really good stuff. Absolutely. It just wasn't, most of it wasn't necessarily catered to what I wanted to do. And for me, travel is a big part of my life. So I was traveling to play a lot of courses. So I really wanted to make sure that I included that component into it. Absolutely. And it's funny because so we'll, we'll, we'll get into this in a little more detail in a little bit, but you know, uh, concerning your quest to play the top 100 courses in the world, a lot of people are thinking like, oh, well, that must be nice. Uh, you know, I, I wish I had the time off. And, you know, from conversations we've had in the past, you've got a really interesting background. And, you know, in terms of your, your story and you're working your way through, you know, from a job and then you know, moving to Thailand, all this stuff. So do you mind sharing with our readers a little bit on your background and how you 
put yourself in a position to have the time and the flexibility to be able to pursue such a cool goal like playing the world's top 100 best golf courses? Yeah, absolutely. So I, in 2007, you know, we're at the peak of, you know, peak of the market. Economy is doing great. I was graduating school at that time and had a degree in finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a job as financial analyst uh, right out of school. Everything's great. I was super stoked, you know, got to have the suit and tie and I had an office with a view here in Portland. And we well, all Portland know is very beautiful. Portland's a great city. A distracting a view. <laughs> um, and so by February of 2009, you know, the market had collapsed. I was working for a small company. It was basically just the two principals, our administrative assistant and me. Um, it was a new company. So everyone was just kind of depressed and miserable. And so I ended up saving all of my vacation time for the year to go down to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for the carnival celebration. Mm-hmm. And so I went down there for two weeks with my best friend and just had the most unbelievable time. We went dancing in the carnival parade. We went down to Iguazu Falls. Oh, it sounds we amazing. We riding over the city. Like it was unreal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that last day, we're sitting on Copacabana Beach, like drinking coconuts. <laughs> and it was just like, hey, we should be able to do this whenever we want. And so I came back and I started a website called Location 180, which was essentially just my quarter life crisis, you know, me trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I began growing that website. And six months later, I left my job. A couple months after that, I moved to Thailand for a year where I kind of learned how to do internet marketing. I was able to, to grow, you know, the brand and the business. And eventually kind of ended up creating a course in a community called Location Rebel, where I teach people how to build small businesses that they can run from anywhere in the world. And that's that's kind of what my primary business is, is based around. I travel three or four months out of the year. Um, and I got to the point back in 2013 where I was like, hey, like I'm getting really into this golf stuff. I'm really passionate about it. I'm traveling and, you know, I'm going to all these cool places. Why don't I try and play some interesting golf courses in the process and document it? It's like, you know, I've got these online skills, so I know how to create a a business and a brand and, you know, I know how to blog and things like that. So let's see where it goes. So basically Breaking 80 just kind of stemmed from, um, you know, the primary business and the primary website I built in uh, Location Rebel. Man, that is so awesome. Now, I have to admit, I, as someone who's uh, traveled and lived abroad for a couple of years as well, you know that whole concept of working remotely and working from wherever you want is really, really awesome. When, did you? Is that something you kind of just decided all on your own? Like, hey, this is I know it's what I want to do, or did you maybe have some mentors or some people that you looked up to or some literature that kind of helped you down that path to realize, like, hey, I just want to be able to do something where I can work from anywhere and maybe help people do the same. Totally. So there was there was a, a couple of different influences. You know, first when I got back from Brazil, uh, there was a guy named Chris Gillibo. So he has a blog called The Art of Nonconformity, and he's gone on to be like a New York Times bestseller and you know very successful guy. And I had found his site, and he'd only been writing it for about a year at the time, and I just devoured it. It was all about location independence and building small businesses and working for from anywhere. He had a goal; he wanted to go to every single country in the world by the time he turned thirty-five. Oh, and that's awesome. He did it. Went to his last country on his 35th birthday. Um, Incredible. And so he had just moved to Portland. And so I sent him an email and said, hey, Chris, what's up? I'm Sean. Here's my issue or here's what I'm doing. Um, You know, is there any chance I can buy you a cup of coffee because I really want to make some changes in my life? And he agreed. And he was the one who encouraged me to to start the website and say, hey, start this. Hold yourself accountable for all the things you want to do and, uh, you know, and kind of go from there. So he was influence number one. Influence number two came from a guy by the name of Dan Andrews. And Dan has a podcast called The Tropical MBA. It's all about lifestyle businesses and being able to work from anywhere. And 
Kia at the time was just getting started. Like, you know, he'd had like two episodes of his podcast and now he's got hundreds. Um, and he sent me an email after reading the post called my last day, where it was like talking about how I left my job and I wasn't sure what was next. I wanted to do some traveling and he said, Hey Sean, I'm looking to bring an American dude out to Asia. Uh, I'll pay for your basic living expenses. I'll teach you, uh, internet marketing and I'll teach you like SEO. You work for me part time and the rest of the time you can work on your own things, have a bit of an adventure and we'll go from there. So I agreed, and then what ended up happening was a month and a half later, I end up at 1 a.m. at the Bangkok airport meeting this <laughs> random dude from the internet, and it ended up being the, the best thing that I could have done. You know, that is, you know, when you think about meeting a random guy at the Bangkok airport at 1 a.m., yeah. <laughs> it usually doesn't end with a really wonderful story like that. No, that is, that's fantastic, man. And, and what year was this again? This would have been, so I left my job at the end of 2009, and moved to Thailand in uh, January of 2010. Okay, awesome, awesome. And just out of curiosity, a lot of the principles and all the stuff that you were learning when you were over there kind of learning um, you know, web development, marketing, SEO stuff, does that still hold a lot of weight? Like, is a lot of the stuff you learned in 2010 still applicable in 2016? The fundamentals of it are. You mm -hmm. know, obviously search engine optimization is very different than it was six years ago. Right. So some of the tactics and strategies specifically may have changed, but you know, the fundamental aspects of it are are more or less the same. And it's, you know, stuff that I've applied both in growing Location 180 and Location Rebel, as well as in Breaking 80. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say, man, I am very, very glad that you were able to go and do that because what the result of that, at least from a golf nerd standpoint, is a really, really cool website in Breaking80.com that essentially has all the stuff that I don't know what I'm, you know, interested in learning about is really cool equipment. And really awesome golf courses. And that <laughs> seems to be the bulk of the Breaking 80 website, which is fine by me, man. It is a lot of fun to go through. And uh, I, I guess the next question is, what was like the, the turning point where you realized, hey, not only do I love golf, I want to use my skills and start a golf website and, you know, not just make it about the stuff I want to read about. Like, what, what was, did you have like an aha moment where you're like, all right, I'm going to do this? I did. Um, it was probably March of 2013. Um or at least this was, I might've started the site a little bit for us, but this is where, this is the moment that sticks out in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a course in Bend, Oregon called Pronghorn. And they've got two courses, a public and a private one. And I found on uh, Golf Now, it was like a $50 tee time. And it's, you know, it's a very nice course and the mm -hmm. rates are usually quite a bit more than that. And right. so I went and played and was just, I fell in love with it. It was one of those rounds where it's like, it was the nicest course I'd ever played. I remember reading about it when it had first opened years before. And I was like, oh my God, this place is is amazing. I want to play more courses like this. And that was the first top 100 public course that I had played. Okay. And so I was getting ready over the next couple months. I was going to be going to Chicago for a speaking gig. I was going to be back in Bend and there was like some other top 100 courses. So I was like, okay, let's, let's take this site. And I also, I'm a photographer, so let's, you know, go take photos of all of these courses and, and write about it. Because every time I know before I went to go play pronghorn, I was trying to find as much research as I can. And I was like, I wanted to read about it and see photos. And I was really into it. And there wasn't a whole lot out there. And so, you know, that quickly over the next, you know, couple months, I went and played some top courses and fell even more in love with it. And you quickly start to realize it's like, okay, the top 100 public courses are cool, but <laughs> I'll be traveling to all of these places. I really want to play the top 100 courses, period. Absolutely. And then. Not long after that, I took a trip to Scotland and I played um, eight top 100 in the world courses on that trip. And so I was like, wow, man, you're not going out. Point, <laughs> let's just, uh, you know, let's go top 100 in the world. So 
as it stands now, there's there's essentially there's six lists or the six main lists. There's mm-hmm. Golf Digest and Golf Magazine. They each have top 100 public. They each have top 100 in America, and they each have top 100 in the world. Okay. And I'm just kind of trying to play as many courses on any of those lists as I can. And as I get to the point where I'm I'm closing in on one particular list, whether it's the Golf Magazine top 100 in the world or the Golf Digest top 100 in America, you know, once they get to the point where you know there's one list that I'm I'm making significant progress on in relation to the others, then I'll kind of focus them a little bit. Focus on that one. Well, it's kind of funny because. It- even though there's a lot more golf course closures happening in America um, right now than there are courses opening, it seems to me like the courses that are still opening in this kind of economic climate all are tending to be really, really good because people aren't wanting to invest the money to build a golf course unless they know that it's going to be a hit. So, you know, again, like I said, while there's so many courses closing, you got guys like Bill Corn, Ben Crenshaw, Tom Doak, and all those people opening up golf courses that seem like they're kind of jumping up into the list here and there. So how do you handle that in terms of the the lists changing year to year? Or is it basically you got one list that you're working off of or whatever the most current version of the list is, that's what I'm going for? Yeah, I'm still kind of working on figuring that out. Um, What I've been telling people initially was when I've completed the current list, then it will be a success. But I've already, you know, I started doing this in 2013. So, you know, some of the courses that I've already gone out and played have fallen off. And so, you know, in particular, you know, at one point I had more of the Golf Digest, you know, top public courses knocked mm-hmm. off. And then I lost like three of them or something like that. Ah. So um, so we'll see. Right now I've been more focused on, you know, just because I'm getting ready to plan a couple trips here over the next couple months, uh, the Golf Magazine top 100 in the world. Um, so I'm thinking about seeing how that evolves and maybe just saying, OK, the 2015 list, the current list, that's going to be the goal. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll see. I haven't fully decided, but at this point, like I said, I'm just trying to play as many cool golf courses as I can. Absolutely. Well, I mean, as someone who it sounds like you, like me, enjoy kind of nerding out on the course rankings and seeing where all the experts and, you know, course raters, you know, rank these courses, you know, saying this one is better than this one. Between the two publications, Golf Digest and Golf Magazine, is one of, does one of them seem to align with your perception of the golf courses in terms of one better being better than the other more so than the other yeah so it's it's kind of interesting i started out going solely on uh golf digest mm-hmm. um it's, it's like and, a standard bearer like golf digest is the one that you think of when you think of course ratings even though golf magazines has been around for just as long i i like you kind of just naturally think of golf digest first yeah and it's you know as you learn more about the ranking systems like different people are going to have different opinions on which one is the more accurate or the better list. So for instance, Golf Digest has over a thousand raters and a very strict criteria, um, uh, you know, for what those ratings are. And, you know, you have to have a little bit of an interview. Uh, I think you have to be a five handicap or better. So I, I can't even qualify to be a Golf Digest rater. Um, whereas Golf Magazine is made up of only about a hundred people that are the who's who in the golf world. So players, designers, architects, um, and there is no real set criteria. It's just kind of saying, hey, these are people that are influential in the golf world that have had an unbelievable, you know, amount of experiences, you know, experiences playing golf. Um, so they kind of know what's good and what's bad. Um, I would say looking generally looking at the list, I think that golf magazines tends to be a little bit more of an accurate representation of what are probably the most the best architectural courses. Mm-hmm. It seems to, you know, place um, a little bit more 
the courses tend to skew a little bit more uh, traditional or classic as opposed okay. to from what I can tell. Sure. Um, that being said, a lot of Golf Digest course, which might be a little bit more modern, a little bit more out there, those are the courses I tend to enjoy the most. Um, great example being one of my favorite courses in the world is the, the club at Black Rock, the golf club at Black Rock in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, okay. which is like number 63 or something like that on golf digest lists and isn't anywhere to be seen on golf magazines, top 100 America list. Huh. Uh, so you start to see that, you know, you've got, you know, maybe 25, 35 courses that are going to be on both lists. And then there's a huge dispersion after that. So, Interesting. you know, so it's, the rankings are a starting point. They're not really the be-all, end-all. I'm sure. a guy that likes to check off lists and whatever, so I'm doing that. But, Likewise. Um, you know, it's also one of those, if you're like, hey, like, you should come play this course that's not ranked. Like, often some of those unranked courses tend to be the best experiences and are the most fun. Well, I, I completely agree. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I was just looking through before, uh, before I jumped on here with you. I was kind of taking a look through the lists and just sort of seeing, you know, what's, what's up there right now. And also just wanted to see if, if I had really... Uh, if I had checked off really any whatsoever, and it's kind of funny, the course that I uh, I caddied at all throughout high school and um, and worked at is ranked 101 by Golf Digest, so it just <laughs> barely missed out on the list. But uh, it is kind of cool. Do, do you ever look at America's second greatest 100 courses? I do. I'll, I'll at least look at it. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm traveling and I'm looking to find like a, a cool course to play or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's some some phenomenal like a great example is uh, Yale, the the yes. golf club at Yale, yes, which is the best college course in the country. It's one of my absolute favorite courses that is on the second 100, uh, but it's also relatively high up on Golf Magazine's top 100 list. Interesting. So you know, it's when it comes down to it, all the rankings they're all personal preference. There's really no rhyme or reason. It's a lot of it is skewed because of just, you know, whether or not some Raiders went in and had a overly positive experience or were pampered or, or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's great to have lists and it's great to have things you can check off, but you know, you, you just got to take it, take it for what it is and accept that, you know, you'll have some people that only try and play the top 100 and they're like, I'm not going to play it if it's not like, you know, ranked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just stupid. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, you know, some of the some of the most fun you know times I've ever had on a golf course are at little dog tracks that don't even have any green grass on them. They just happen to just be really interesting. And uh, but that being said, those courses that are on those top one hundred lists are there for a reason because you can, you by can and large they're pretty darn good. Absolutely, you can bet that they're all pretty good. And frankly, for me, and this is something that isn't talked about a whole lot. For me, in some ways, I get just as much enjoyment out of playing the course. As I do getting the email saying, "Oh, hey, here's the invitation." <laughs> of course, because oh. you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in uh, golf communities or golf circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have a ton of connections. So for me, it's like when it's like, "Hey, here's you know this invitation to go play San Francisco Golf Club or Marion or the Country Club." It's like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing! How did I like infiltrate this network of?" very successful people that have these connections and no, so that's totally awesome so you're saying that almost the the build-up before actually playing the course may be just as even potentially more exhilarating than the act of playing the golf course itself totally i mean just it's kind of like you know what do they say like when you're excited for a vacation or whatever you can get 90 percent of the enjoyment just by anticipation and just the looking having something to look forward to um, so for me, I think when I get that email, it's like, okay, like, you know, you've got a tea time. It's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And, 
you know, the game of trying to do it. Like I'm planning a, I've got a trip coming up to Colorado. I've got a trip coming up to Scotland and I've got a trip coming up to Thailand. So there's courses I want to play in all of those places. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I, you know, who do I know? What can I offer? How can I meet people that are going to help me, you know, help me play the places that I want to want to play at? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny because it, so much of the top 100, you know, non-public obviously is constituted of private courses, but um, you have found a way to kind of, you know, break that barrier and put yourself in a position to network, meet people, make great connections and play a lot of great golf. Um, what's kind of been your strategy or, you know, what you found to be most successful in terms of meeting influential people, people that can get you to go play golf courses? I mean, any, I guess, you know, strategies, stories, anything you want to share? In that totally. Order? So the most important thing is I try and be as genuine as I can. Like mm -hmm. I genuinely want to meet people and I genuinely want to help people. Um, so if there's something I can do for someone else, like it's like, for instance, you, like we, you know, you were in Portland, I invited you to come out and, you know, play my club with me. Mm -hmm. We'd never met before. It's like, you're kind of taking a chance, but it's like, I, you know, try and give people the benefit of the doubt. That they're good people. They're going to be appreciative. Um, and I try and just try and be a nice guy. Absolutely. Like I try and be, be helpful. Hey, and you were uh, very nice. Uh, which hollow, by the way, if anybody that hasn't played, you know, at pumpkin Ridge, either of the courses, Awesome. And uh, I, I like you say that you try to assume that everybody is inherently good because from my experience, 95, 98 percent of the people out there are really, really awesome and genuinely good people. It's just the other five to three percent just can't hold it together. And they they kind of give a, a bad rap for the rest of you know everybody else. <laughs> totally. Totally. So so that's kind of the like fundamental mindset you have to have. But okay. from a tactical basis, um, there's two things that have been the absolute like biggest, like most important thing that I've done to be able to make the connections and get access. Um, the first thing is starting the blog, starting breaking 80, sure. um, by writing on a regular basis, by taking the photos, by putting in the work that one shows that, Hey, I'm willing to travel to play these places. And two, I'm really appreciative when I have the opportunity to play these places and doing it in a, like a non stuck up, non trying to like elevate myself over anyone else. It's just like, Hey, this was a cool experience I had here's like, let me share that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's helped me reach a ton of people. I've met so many people just because they found me through the website. Sure. Um, and then the second thing, which is kind of like an add on to that is starting an Instagram account. Um, you know, now we've got over 10,000 Instagram followers that are very actively engaged um, and I try and post, you know, I'm not always the best with it, but I try and post one cool golf photo a day. Yeah. And I've had a ton of people that have found me or even found the site solely through Instagram. You can, and so, you can count me on that list. So there you go. Yeah, so no, it's that's like, awesome. You know, by taking like cool photos, taking the time to edit them, you know, I've got photos now from all over the country and all over the world. You know, it just kind of provides a little bit of a background. And once it's once it's kind of like, oh, look, Sean's played all of these other exclusive places. Like, he must be a pretty good guy if, like, people are inviting him to do this and they're continuing to invite him to do this. Um, and so, you know, again, it goes back to be genuine, be nice, like, you know, do what you say you're going to do. Um, but then also putting yourself out there and doing it in a, in a way that's consistent. It's, like, consistently posting, consistently writing. Um, so those are the two you know, kind of non-traditional ways that I've been able to meet people, network, and get access to places that I might not have otherwise been able to play. So be a genuinely good human and don't be lazy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That, that sums it up right there. You know, I think th 
that those are words to live by in all facets of life. Yeah. But <laughs> even even more so if you're trying to play a lot of great golf. <laughs> totally. Oh, that's awesome, man. So as a as a guy who's played a lot of great golf courses all over the world, you have a lot of great uh, course reviews on the website. Um, you know, I, I I really enjoy those kinds of reviews that obviously give a breakdown of the author's experience at the course and then gives a whole by whole breakdown with lots of pictures where you know you get the the view of the hole from the tee and then you know the look that you're going to have on your approach shot looking back at the hole from the green and there was another website that I really really liked uh, visiting back when I was younger you know when I was first going to Bandon Dunes I don't know if you know the gentleman who put it together or um, but it's called the walking golfer um, dot yeah. com yep and a guy by the name of Rob Rigg who um, I've had a chance to talk to a couple times really nice guy he started doing that and then when I found your website on breaking 80 I saw that you were doing something similar the only difference being that your website uh, you know all compliments to Rob your website looked a little bit better it was a little bit cleaner the photos were absolutely beautiful they looked like they were taken with a great camera and it's just man it's just so much fun to go through and almost feel like you're playing the golf courses along with you uh, when you're posting these course reviews so then my question to you would be what do you enjoy the most about putting the course reviews together and what do you use to evaluate and form your own opinion about golf courses like in the sean ogle what makes a golf course or a golf hole great totally so so i've got kind of two different criteria i can look at um I can look at a course from a purely like architectural historical standpoint Mm -hmm. and I can say, yes, I believe this course is a better architectural golf course than this one. Um, But for me, just because something is architecturally significant or superior and a long championship test of golf, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be my favorite course. My criteria is, is it fun? Like I'm the kind of person where I like fun golf courses. Um, that's why I like, you know, more modern courses like, like the club at Black Rock is mm-hmm. a blast to play. Like it's absolutely amazing. Um, but you're not going to ever see like major championships there. It's, it's actually like cart carts only because there's so uh, many hills. Okay. Um, so you look at a lot of courses like, you know, the Olympic club or winged foot or, you know, Medina. So some of these courses that are very exclusive and they're hard to play, but, um, once you do play them, it's like, yes, it's great from like the history standpoint and the test of golf, but, they're not always the most fun. They just kind of beat you up, and some of the course, the holes look very similar to each other. Yeah. Um, well, if you like getting your ass kicked, then it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, on my site, I do my, I've done my top 50 list. So it's breaking80.com slash top-50. And I, I give like a thousand word, like, you know, preface that's like, hey, these are not like what I think are the best courses. These are my favorite courses. Um, these are the ones where I literally, I, I tried as much as I could to put prestige and history and all of that stuff aside and said, just from a course perspective, would I rather play this course or this course? And I just kind of kept doing that back and forth. I see. That is awesome. And that honestly, I think that's kind of at my, you know, deep down, that's what I want out of those top 100 lists because, you know, most golfers, I, I know you are a big ar- golf architecture fan. I am as well. Um, but for somebody who just enjoys playing golf and isn't really familiar with, you know, the history and, you know, architecture philosophies and all that stuff like that, they just want to have fun. And I wish there was more of an emphasis put on that than any other category when judging a golf course. And if you don't mind me asking from your top 50 most fun golf courses, what were, what were some of the highlights? You you care to share a a couple of your observations and discoveries in terms of fantastically fun golf to go play? 
Well, I think, so my favorite course is, and this is kind of interesting, a lot of people disagree with that. My favorite course I've played is Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that say it's overrated. They say, you know, oh, there's some inland cor- or inland holes that aren't up to par or whatever. I mean, there was maybe one or two holes that I didn't think were very, you know, there was no bad holes. There's How many of those people have actually courses. played Pebble Beach, though? How many of the people telling you it's not great have actually played Pebble? See, it's the people, it's actually the people that have played it and the people that have played much more golf than me that huh. say that. So it's often people that, like, have had some incredible experiences. They're the ones that have played the Pine Valleys and the Old Course and Cypress Points, et cetera. Um, and, again, that just kind of, you know, goes to show it's it's – all kind of opinion Mm -hmm. but as far as you know from a fun perspective i mean when you've got so many holes on the water you've got the history you've got you know you're hitting golf shots that you will never hit anywhere else ever um it's just such a a cool experience it's epic Uh, it's an epic golf course every shot you hit is just like whoa (laughs) totally (laughs) um so another great example of that um is cruden bay cruden bay is in my top five in you know, it's it's not as famous as like the Muirfields to the the St. Andrews or after the open this year, like Royal Troon. But as far as like an unbelievable, fun, just unique Lynx golf experience, like there's nothing better. Um, you know, it is truly one of the most unique courses in the world. And it was I hadn't had much experience with Lynx golf before I had taken I'd been to Bandon Dunes, but I hadn't, you know, aside from that first Scotland trip, I hadn't really experienced it much and was kind of like you know, got to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, this is so different than what I expected it to be. Um, you know, I was expecting it to just kind of be like, you know, flat out and back routings with some mounding and some water and whatever. But like, you know, Cruden Bay showed me, it's like, you're going up, you're going down, you're going left, you're going right. Mm-hmm. It was it was fun golf. And it was a course that was built, you know, over a hundred years ago. Um, awesome. So it's, it's just kind of cool to see. No, that's great. No, so when you got there, what was your impression the very first time you went over there and played Lynx golf? Not only just from a fun perspective, but how how were you? How was your golf game able to adjust? Like, was it tough starting to play everything low, trying to keep the ball out of the air? Like, how does your golf game suit Lynx golf? And do you think that kind of play leads to more fun being had for people? Well, I think that you have to get more creative with your shots. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like you know you can't just you know I hit the ball high generally, so you can't just you know, hit your, you know, wedge way up in the air and expect good things to happen. No. Um, you have to get more creative around the greens. Like I have a tough time where I'm not necessarily the best putter from, you know, off the green. And so when you've got like, you know, these big mounds and really, really tight, like fescue lie, you're not going to want to chip with like a sand wedge or whatever I would normally use. Mm -hmm. Um, so it took a little while to kind of get used to, to navigating that. But at the same time, it was also a completely different experience. It was something that I was so not used to it forced me to get more creative and there's times where when you pull off that shot that you're not used to hitting you're just like oh wow that was now I see what this is all about yeah so, <laughs> um, and plus you know you just look at the the history I mean it's like it's it's those courses have been around since when golf was first invented mm-hmm. uh, you know another famous course is or one of my favorite courses is Royal Dornick uh, which is way up north, and that's mm-hmm. what I used to tell people was my favorite course before I played Pebble Beach. Um, and it's the same kind of thing. It's like you see architecture cues from, you know, like that I see in that course that I think is the third oldest course in the world, and you see it in other places, you know, in more modern courses. So it's it's just kind of interesting to, from a history perspective, to go and play those older courses 
and then, you know, compare them to, you know, the newer ones that take those same, you know, types of holes and same features and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, for, I, for one, love Lynx Golf, not only because it suits my game a little bit more, but just like you said, I like that creativity is, is you know, is at a premium on uh, on Lynx Golf courses. And, you know, being a guy who resides up in, uh, up, up in the Portland area and as an Oregon native, um, it's pretty remarkable to see the success of Bannon Dunes and, and its resort up there and, you know, how it's kind of brought the Lynx Golf experience um, to America. In your opinion, do you think Pacific or sorry, sorry, the Bandon and Pacific and all the courses up there do a pretty good job of sort of replicating the style of play that people enjoy over like in the United Kingdom? Oh, absolutely. And, and granted, I haven't I haven't played in Ireland. I haven't played in England or Wales. So it's like my my experience is a little bit limited. But um, likewise, you know, everything at Bandon felt like a modern Lynx experience, yeah. um, like Bandon Dunes to me, like the most direct comparison I think of is Kings Barnes. So Kings Barnes, Kyle Phillips design, like one of the newer courses in Scotland um, and it's gotten rave reviews, you know, top 100 golf course. Mm-hmm. And it's just a ton of fun. Um, and those two courses, they almost felt like sister courses to me. Like, yeah. Felt like um, features just felt the same. It had the same kind of vibe. So no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that is one of the very few top 100 in the world courses that I can actually say that I sh- have shared an experience at with you. Uh, great, great. It was a little early. I think I played it when I was maybe 15 or 16 years old, but I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I came back from my only Scotland trip ever as a teenager and my dad asked me, what was your favorite course? Even though I was lucky enough to play the old course and Carnoustie and Glen Eagles, I, I think I actually said Kings Barnes, which is, is, which is incredible considering all the great links golf, but Kyle Phillips and his team did a unbelievable unbelievable job with that golf course I, that, that is a must play for anybody who goes over uh to fife and wants to play st andrews and play a lot of golf around there i i couldn't agree with you more yeah i i totally agree and unfortunately the day we played it was basically like completely caked in fog so i didn't get many good photos <laughs> from it and i didn't get the like full experience but i'm gonna be back out in scotland in october so maybe there's a, a chance to go play no sure and actually going back to bandon and uh oregon in general it's kind of funny when uh when we first connected online and, you know, I learned that you lived in Portland and we kind of scheduled to play around a golf together. Um, I'm also doing some other stuff with Golf Guide, trying to make some contacts and get some stuff together for an upcoming issue of the magazine we're doing. And I never realized that Portland and Oregon as a whole is such like an underground golf mecca, especially when it comes to, I mean, obviously there's a lot of great golf everywhere, but in terms of the equipment and the facilities and so many great things in the golf industry seem to come from Portland and nobody would ever know it. It, it, yeah, it's kind of, you know, we've got Seamus, we've got uh, McKenzie golf bags, we've got Jones golf bags. Uh-huh. Obviously, we've got Nike and the North American headquarters for Adidas, which aren't very underground. But, right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's there's a lot going on here. It's, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Yeah, no, I say Portland's golf scene is really, really good. And I know, um, obviously, you remember up at Pumpkin Ridge, what uh, if somebody was asking you, hey, you know, Sean, I'm going up to, to Portland for a couple days. You're not around. Let's say you're out traveling the world playing some golf somewhere. And they say, hey, Sean. You know, what's the golf scene like in and around Portland and where would you recommend maybe going to play a round or two of golf, both both private side and maybe on the public side? Totally. So so Portland is a a decent golf city. I wouldn't say Portland's by any means the best golf city, Mm -hmm. either from the public or the private perspective. Okay, Um, we've got some very good courses for for both. Um, if you were coming up, I think that Ghost Creek at Pumpkin Ridge is, um, in my opinion, it's the best public course in the area. Um, you know, I want to say it's, it's ranked in the sixties and the top 100 public courses, 
uh, in the Golf Digest list. I think it's like 54 or something on the Golf Mag list. Um, so that's definitely worth playing. I'm slightly biased, but totally worth it. That's okay. Um, the another one that I think is you know more of a, a locals only know about it, but it's uh, Heron Lakes. Okay. Uh, Heron Lakes is actually a municipal facility. They've got two courses, the Greenback and the Great Blue, um, both Robert Trent Jones Jr. designs. And the Great Blue in particular is a fantastic course. Um, you know, a lot of good strategic holes. It's, it's a difficult course. Um, if they maintained it just a little bit better, I think that, you know, it would get a lot more um, notice. But uh, if you're coming up to Portland, it's actually relatively close to the airport, so it can be an easy pop in, whereas Pumpkin Ridge is kind of all the way on the other side of town. Um, and then from a private perspective, um, you know, Witch Hollow is fantastic. The mm -hmm. other, the private side of Pumpkin. I could vouch uh, for that. Yeah. Waverly, <laughs> um, which is where Tiger Woods. So Tiger won his uh, third U.S. Amateur at uh, Pumpkin Ridge, and he won, I think it might have even been his third junior amateur at Waverly. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's right on the Willamette River. Recently had a um, redesign by Gil Hance back in like 2010, 2011. Okay. Uh, did a fantastic job with it. And it's got one of the best back nines, um, you know, I've played anywhere. So well, those are those are my two, you know, kind of my favorites in the area. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I did see some of the, uh, the pictures of Waverly that you posted on the Breaking 80 uh, Instagram account. And I was just flat back. I was like, wow, that... That is spectacular. I, I'm not quite sure how they got to build a golf course right there on the Willamette, but I'm not going to ask any questions because it looks like it turned out to be an unbelievable golf course. <laughs> yeah, by doing it way back in, I think it was like 1896 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> that's, a, that, that, that's how you pull it off. <laughs> totally. Uh, fair enough. Well, I, another question I had for you, Sean, is as a member of a private club, has that helped you make the contacts that you've needed to make in order to play so much great golf that you've played? Or do you think more of the networking connections that you made have been, uh, have, have resulted from the website? You know, to be honest, I'm not, so I was a member of a different club for two years before I joined pumpkin mm -hmm. and I'm not sure I've had a, I've, I can't think of a single course I've been able to play because I've been a member of a private club. Okay. Um, you know, there's been a few things that were like, oh, maybe, or you meet a couple people, but just about everything I've done has been because of contacts I've made through the blog. Um, and when I started the blog, I was not a member of a club. Um, so it's it's interesting. You know, there's some people that might say it's like, oh, you, you know, member of club, whatever. Uh, that really has nothing to do with it. And the the only real nice thing I've gotten from it is being a, not the only thing I've gotten from it, but <laughs> one of my one of the coolest things I've gotten from it is now when people do invite me to go play their courses, it's really nice to be able to reciprocate and say, yeah. And if you're ever in Portland, I'd be more than happy to have you out because Absolutely. you know it's a it's a cool course. It's got some you know history to it, um, so it's one that I think people have, have heard of and. If people are in Portland, it's generally one that, that they'd like to play. So by being able to say, hey, I've actually got something to offer you, it's, it's nice. But no, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, I just wasn't quite sure because there's some people out there that think, oh, maybe if I join a private course, you know, my, my head pro will call Cypress for me and I can start playing all these great golf courses. And I, I've had a couple of different people say that to me. I said, I don't think that's how it works. In fact, it's not even thinking. I know that's not how it works. Well, but I'm not, I won't lie. I mean, it, it helps. Like if you're a member of a club, it makes it easier to get access to other clubs mm -hmm. and you know, I know that the, you know, head pro there, you know, he's offered, there's certain places that, you know, I've been traveling where he knows people. And so I, I don't doubt that I will get some connections because of that in the future. I just haven't necessarily yet. So. No, that's, no, that's very, very cool. I I got to admit from the, uh, the round that we played up there, 
I cannot wait to go up and uh, be in Portland again at some point, not only to play some more golf, because I did really enjoy the couple different places that I played, but Witch Hollow ate my lunch. It, I mean, yeah. it, it, it absolutely kicked me right in the backside. So I, I, I need to get a little bit of redemption. My, my golf game's been a little bit stronger here the past two months, so it, I feel as long as I'm in a good groove when I head up to Portland next, I'm, I'm going to have to somehow find some sort of revenge on that golf course because that, that place will happily just crush you if you're not hitting fairways. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that, absolutely. That long grass is interesting. So, all right, Sean, I got a couple more questions for you. I'm not going to say speed round by any means because that's kind of weird, but there were a couple different questions that I was really, really fascinated to get your opinion on here because uh, with a man who travels as much as you do, plays as much good golf as you do, um, it, it, I just think you'd be able to offer a wealth of uh, opinions on these different things. So, in terms of favorite golf destinations, okay. You've traveled all over the world. You've played a lot of great golf across America. What are some actual resorts? Not so much like areas, but actual resorts where maybe there's more than a couple golf courses to go play that stand out for you as, hey, if I'm just going on a golf vacation, um, you know, like Matt Janella with uh, Golf Channel does a lot of those like golf resort rankings. Where, yep. Um, do any golf resorts that you visited stand out to you? Uh, obviously, we've touched on Bandon Dunes a little bit. For me, that's my favorite golf resort. Maybe it's the same for you. We, we, what are some of your thoughts on some of the better golf resorts? Uh, yeah, I, you you can't go wrong with, like, Bandon is the obvious answer. I mean, you've got four top 100 courses that are super unique for the United States. Like, that's like that's a no-brainer. But on top of that, there's obviously a lot of places worth playing. Um, I really like Kohler. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got Whistling Straits and Black Wolf. Totally. Each of those has two really cool, really unique courses. And one of the things I like about it is you can go play – the Straits course, and then you can go play the River course at Black Wolf. Both are excellent, but both are so completely different. Huh. Uh, so you get really two very cool, unique experiences, uh, you know, all at one resort. So, sure. um, so I think you know that's definitely one. Um, another one that flies under the radar that I think is totally worth mentioning is Forest Dunes up in uh, northern Michigan. Okay. Um, I haven't been out there in the last couple of years, but just in the last few months, uh, Tom the, Doak opened the loop, the loop yes. which is the, the country's first reversible golf course, which sounds um, awesome. So, you know, forest dunes was great on its own as it is, but everything I've been hearing from the people that have been to, um, uh, to the new course have been saying it, it makes it even better. So I think that's one that some people might not be familiar with that, that is worth visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you've got Pinehurst, uh, but frankly, like I think Pinehurst, like just going to the Pinehurst area is awesome. Like you've got all the courses at the resort. So you've got what, eight or nine courses there. Sure. But then in the, you know, within an hour's drive, you've got Tobacco Road, you've got Dormy Club, you've got Pine Needles and Mid Pines. Um, so if you're looking for a place where you want the resort experience, but you maybe want to go out and be able to do a day trip to, you know, someplace else that, you know, provides a, a very different vibe. I think that's a, an excellent place to do it. Well, that's uh, awesome. I- but- I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sean. I, it just uh, when, when you mentioned Pinehurst, and then you mentioned a couple of the other courses that are close by, you literally hit the nail on the head with the two courses that, other than number two, I think I'd probably want to play the most, um, and that's Tobacco Road and the Dormy Club. So I'm assuming you've played both, correct? Yes. And they, I think there are reviews for both of them on Breaking80.com, right? Correct. Okay. As good as advertised? Better. Better. I um, awesome. Tobacco Road. Tobacco Road is the most love it or hate it course in America. Okay. <laughs> uh, you're either going to absolutely love it or you're going to absolutely hate it. And I think it's so much fun. You hit golf shots that you never would ever expect to hit. Um, you know, parts of it can be hard or tricky or 
a little confusing, but it's it's done in the the best way possible. Yeah. Uh, in Dormy Club, the day I played it, I was essentially the only one on the course. You know, walked it and just had this super cool experience where you're going through the trees and you feel like you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Corin Crenshaw did a did a really really solid job with it. Oh, that's awesome. And now, in terms of not just resorts, but what about like areas? I, I know recently. Um, on Breaking80.com, you posted kind of an update on a, a recent trip that you took to Philadelphia where you got to play a host of really spectacular golf courses, none more so than Marion, host of the 2013 U.S. Open, which I think is on every serious golfer's you know bucket list of golf courses. Yep. Um, first of all, do you mind sharing a little bit about your Philadelphia trip and then maybe offering some other options in terms of just general areas that happen to be rich in really great golf? Yeah. So, I mean, Philadelphia was, was amazing. I didn't really know a whole lot about the city or their golf courses before we went out there, but we played five rounds in five days. Uh, Marion obviously being the, you know, the, the, the one that we're most excited about. Sure. And I actually, you know, in my top 50 list, I need to go and update it. I would probably have Marion as certainly top five. I'm gonna have to think through where it goes, but I like fun golf courses mm-hmm. and Marion is a fun golf course. Awesome. Um, you know, hands down. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the the downsides to Philadelphia is a lot of the good golf there is is private. Sure. Um, so if you're asking like the best area or best region for good golf, period, mm-hmm. hands down, with no question, New York City and the New York area. Sure. Um, but you got Long Island, which just you know, I mean, you can't even count the, the top. 20 golf courses on one or two hands it's just so so awesome well, out there yeah and you've got long island and then you've got um you know areas in new jersey where you've got like somerset hills you've got pine valley which is a few hours away mm-hmm. uh you've got plainfield in there then you've got like westchester where you've got quaker ridge you've got wingfoot so i mean within like a couple hours drive of new york i think you've got 19 of the top 20 courses or 19 of the top 100 courses in the country that's awesome uh, <laughs> but the problem is 18 of the 19 are, are private. private. Okay. So you can go play, go play Beth page black, which is totally worth it. Um, but I would say my best, like under the radar golf destination is bend, Oregon. Um, okay. Bend is one of the coolest cities in the country. Uh, you've got like an incredible beer scene. You've got the most, you know, you can do anything you want as far as outdoor activities go and things like that. But with their best courses, you get a, similar to Kohler, you get very different experiences. Mm-hmm. So you can go play Tethero, which is a David McClay kid design. that's sure. basically like, you know, Chambers Bay or Lynx golf in the desert. Uh, then you've got Pronghorn, which has like more of a championship feel and the, the high desert with, you know, it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit more just championship golf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Crosswater, which feels very different than all of them, which has basically it's routing over the Deschutes river and you have to cross over it like a dozen times and, you're right at the base of Mount Bachelor. So that's awesome. Uh, in that area, you've got three of my favorite courses that all are very, very different. Um, and then when you put that in with, you know, great food, great beer, great outdoor activities, great weather, you just can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I know that uh, Bend has been high on my list of places to go and uh, and play some good golf. Now, is is Bend playable like year round? I, I know that. Obviously, it's it's a big snowboarding destination the winter as well. Do you think any of the golf up there is, is playable past like October or before March? Yeah, some of it is. Um, it depends on where specifically in the region you are. For instance, mm-hmm. Pronghorn will like they'll get snow, but they will mostly stay open year round. So okay. if there's snow on the ground, like obviously the course will close. But um, you know, I've played Pronghorn in like February, mm-hmm. um, and it's 
what's cool about that is it's one of the few places where you can go ski in the morning and then go golf in the afternoon. Oh, so, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so that's always fun. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I know. I've, uh, I know Pronghorn, Crosswater. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Crosswater a Bob Cup design? It's it- Bob Cup and John Fott. And I'm okay. not sure who who got the lead billing, but uh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, for Golf Guide, for the most part, we cover golf in California, Oregon, and Nevada. What What about if you got one place to go play golf in California, where, where are you going? Um, as far as – I haven't played a ton of golf in California, so I'm just going to say, obviously, in Monterey, you've mm-hmm. got the best concentration of really good golf, both public and private. Sure. Um, but I'm going to go with Pasatiempo. I yes. think Pasatiempo is one of the most underrated courses in the world. It's a fantastic uh, example of McKenzie design, McKenzie bunkering, um, in that – that's very rare. Most of the courses he he's done have been private. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I played it twice in the last year and was blown away both times. It, it fully exceeded expectations. I am so happy you said that. Cause I, I, I think I may have mentioned this when we played golf together back in June, but you know, there's always that quite, I love the question. You can only play golf at one course for the rest of your life. You have to just pick one course that you've played or that you haven't played that you can't play anywhere else, but you get to play that one as much as you want. For me, Pasatiempo may very well be that golf course, and I'm assuming that it's probably high up on your list of fun courses, and if I was to ask that same question of you, is that where you would default to your all-time fun golf course rankings, or do you have maybe something else you'd want to throw in there? Um, Clarify the question. So the question is, you can only play one golf course for the rest of your life. Okay. Okay. you know, I would probably go with Pebble Beach. Like, if you can tell me I can go play Pebble Beach as much as I want for the rest of my life, like, there you've got, like, the combination of fun, scenery, like, great location. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I might as well default to my favorite. But That's um, not a know, bad move. Pasatiempo not- would very, very much not be a, a bad choice either. No, Pasatiempo, it's just missing the, the cliffs on the ocean because the, the course itself and just the shot values and just the, the upkeep, it... Granted, they've been ravaged pretty good by the drought in terms of there's a little bit more brown out there, but the course still plays exactly as, Mr. as Dr. McKenzie intended it to. It That is an unbelievable golf course. I, you, you and I share the same sentiment. That is among my favorite ones. And I guess the, the follow-up question I got with that is, how is that not a top 100 golf course? Well, and it depends on the list because I believe it is top 100 on Golf Magazine's list, but oh. not on Golf Digest. And that is one of the, like, perfect examples of why I place a little bit more credence in the um, golf magazine versus golf digest. Mm -hmm. Um, Digest seems like they've added a lot of like more modern courses or resort courses or things where it's like, ah, should that really be that high or should that really be on the list? And Mm -hmm. um, you know, post tempo in my mind is like the epitome of what should be a top 100 course. Yeah. it, It is the perfect example of a classically designed golden era golf course that has stood the test of time like most McKenzie courses, it's not super long, but it doesn't really matter because all the shot values have remained the same despite the equipment getting better and better. Totally. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, all right, next one. You've actually had an opportunity to meet a lot of people through your journey. Is uh, Obviously, some of them would probably prefer to remain anonymous, but who are some of the, the more interesting people that you've, you've come across and uh, had a chance to play golf with or met along your, your golf journey? Yeah, so I've got one story I'll tell that is probably the best golf story I've got. So it's actually, <laughs> I keep going back to Pebble Beach, which I haven't talked about this course that much. 
Um, <laughs> but for some reason, it keeps coming up today. So play. I've only played it once. We had an early tea time, so we were able to play it in under four hours, which is unheard of. Um, yes. And we're we're in the bar afterwards. We're in the tap room, and we're sitting kind of me and my buddy Dan. We're sitting kind of in the back by ourselves, and we're you know just having this conversation. We're just, you know giddy with talking about the course and everything. And these three people come down and sit next to us. And, you know, I, they kind of came in behind me, so I wasn't looking or thinking about it. And, you know, 15 minutes later, I overhear them talking. And one of them's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go to Scotland in a couple weeks. Um, and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go up to Royal Dornick or not. So instinctively, I just turn. I'm like, oh, my God, if you go to Scotland, you've got to go to Royal Dornick. It's one of my absolute favorite courses. You won't regret it. And that's when I realized it was Steph Curry that was saying that. <laughs> And he was with the two owners of the Golden State Warriors. And Mr. So, Lakeup and Mr. Goober. Yes, correct. And so we, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about a couple courses. And then as everybody realized that he was there when they were leaving, um, you know, everybody got photos with Steph. And I was just kind of sitting outside talking to, um, you know, talking to the owners. And they, I think Peter turned to Joe and he was like, no one ever cares about you anymore. Like from here on out, <laughs> nobody cares about you. It's all about him. And I just thought, thought that was because this was about two weeks after they won the the championship right. in 2015. So, right. Anyway, that was that was pretty cool, and maybe that has some bearing on you know why I enjoy Pebble Beach so much. But it was uh you know it's like stuff like that doesn't happen very often. Hey, so. that is unbelievably cool, and I got to say you're. Your story is, is fitting the audience quite well because I, I want to say that probably 90% of our listenership are uh, pretty avid Golden State Warriors fans, which when you're based out of the Bay Area, that's just, that's just kind it's of the way that it is. Do. It's just kind <laughs> of what you do. I mean, it, I, I, my only wish is that maybe you had uh, picked up some contact information because it seems like Steph has some pretty good connections. But that, I saw the entire Warriors team got to play Augusta uh, after they played the Atlanta Hawks last year. Basically, Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Warriors, had promised him he would use a connection that he had to get them all to go out and play Augusta. And when they won the championship, Andre Iguodala, the first thing he did right on the court was said, all right, coach, when we go into Augusta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. Awesome. No, that's very, very awesome. By the way, I, I don't know if you know this, just talking about current events for just a second, I know that uh, the U.S. Amateur is happening at Oakland Hills right now. I believe you have played Oakland Hills, correct? I have. Yeah. Awesome. A any thoughts on the golf course that, uh, as you see the guys, the, the field limited to 32 golfers and, um, you know, the, just a couple of golfers left. Did you have any thoughts or good stories from Oakland Hills when you were there? Um, some of the most difficult greens I've ever seen. Uh, I was on the putting green and I was like putting uphill and the greens were so fast. I would put up and it would just roll right back past the pin. So I was having to put up above the hole and have it like roll down into the hole at times. So I just remember that. And then I remember they brew their own IPA there and we we're having lunch afterwards and they had their IPA and then they had a bourbon barrel aged version of the IPA. Oh. It was one of the absolute best beers I've ever had in my life. And that's and coming from an Oregon native. That, that is that's high from praise. An Oregon native. I almost bought a growler of it to take home, but um, I was like getting on a plane soon and so it didn't end up working out. What but, do you think your fellow Oregonians would have said if you had brought back a a growler of once they Michigan it, IPA. Once they tasted it, they they would get it. They would I will say, as a whole, during the Michigan trip, I was very disappointed by Michigan beers in general. Huh. But this one was unreal. Interesting. Wait, I like that we've jumped onto beer here because this is one of the last questions I'll ask you. In that, uh, so in the upcoming issue of Golf Guide magazine, we're going to be doing a feature on what exactly constitutes the perfect golfing beer. What what type of beer is most suited 
to be enjoyed while you're out playing golf. As an Oregonian, as an avid golfer, as an enjoyer of fine, tasty, succulent brews, I pose a question to you. And you, what, what kind of beers do you like to drink when you're out playing golf? So I try not to drink much when I'm playing golf because it makes me a horrible golfer. Um, but when I do, I'm, I'm going to go with a good session, citrusy session IPA. Totally. Um, you know, you get a little bit lower alcohol content, you get the citrusy stuff. So it's probably hot when you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I will say like, you know, if it's a hot day and it's like a 90 degree day and you're out playing golf, there's, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but there's nothing wrong with like a Coors Light. Um, hey. you know, if it's there, there are not- there are some people in the beer community that may shame you, but not me, sir. I mean, that's the I, I I went to college in Chico with Sierra Nevada Brewery, like a quarter of a mile away from us. So like, I grew up drinking good beer, but in in my elder age, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a good old fashioned American red and white or a Coors Light on a hot day. I mean, it's there you go. It's, it's beer water. It's it, it's it's meant to hydrate and replenish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh, which is awesome. Okay, so a little session IPA um, is a very good choice. I'm I'm kind of with you in that I like to have one beer when I'm playing golf, but more than that, my game kind of starts to crumble, and I really like playing well. So that that's why I usually kind of save most of my pint consumption for uh, post round. Um, well, it, it all depends. You know, if I'm playing horribly and you're with friends, it's a nice day. It's like okay, at the turn, it's like oh, obviously things aren't going well here. So let's let's <laughs> let's, change let's reevaluate. Up, your help. <laughs> Get you to relax a little bit. So. Exactly. No, exactly, exactly right. No, that's awesome. Oh uh, shoot. Well, Sean, I, I got to say, man, this has been a ton of fun, man. I I love uh, talking to you. I love learning all about your experiences and everything else. Um, so, but before we go, for anybody else that's listening, again, who's not familiar with the website. Um, but what's the information they need to check you out and kind of learn and, you know, learn about your experiences. And if, you know, somebody's out there who could potentially help you play some great golf, um, how, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So easiest way is to go to breaking 80.com again with 80 spelt out. Um, you know, my contact information is there. My history is there. Um, you can also go to the Instagram account at breaking 80. Uh, and if you're interested in just kind of the, the business side of things and how I've built this business and built this lifestyle, you can go to locationrebel.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you get all the information on that there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much, man. This has been a ton of fun. I hope, uh, I hope we get a chance to do it again here, uh, with these upcoming golf trips you've got once you said to Scotland and wh- wh- where else are you going in the next couple months? Uh, I'm going to Colorado in September okay. and then I get back and I'm back for a week and I go to Scotland for a week and a half and then I'm going to Bangkok for a conference. I'm going to try and get at least one round of golf in there. Interesting. And how many courses from the top 100 are you planning on checking off on these next couple trips? Um, I'm hoping to get like somewhere between four and six. I've got two confirmed for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and then a couple more that are, you know, looking like they'll probably happen. Awesome. So, awesome. Well, yeah. uh, it sounds like we are going to have to check back in with you in uh, a couple months from now, maybe early next year and kind of get a, uh, the, get the lowdown on how that trip went. Cause if you're going to Colorado, I'm assuming you're probably going to be playing something awesome like Bally Neal or, or something like that. Oh, so, they'll, going out to play Bally Neal. Yes. So it, it should be pretty good. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I've, like you, I've probably only heard wonderful, wonderful things uh, about that place. So you go and enjoy yourself. Have an awesome time. And uh, thank you again, my man, for, uh, for giving us the time. This was really interesting and a lot of fun. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, awesome, man. Thanks so much. This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by GolfGuide.net. Save 20 to 70% on greens fees at golf courses in California, Nevada, and Oregon. And when you check out, 
Use the promo code GGPODCAST and save 10% on all purchases of $50 or more. That's golfguide.net.